Welcome to another episode of The Cubic Report. My guest today is a person who will shed some light on one of the most mysterious and exotic nations in the world. This is the country of Myanmar, once called Burma. We'll be talking today to David Bensinger, a person that I've known for several years, known his family, known his wife's family very, very well, and he is visiting here in Cincinnati right now, and he will be talking to us about the country of Myanmar that he has traveled to and has worked with. So, welcome to the Cubic Report. Thank you, Vic. I really appreciate that. Well, it's, just, it's really good to have you here and also to agree to do the podcast. I've had an interest in this part of the world throughout my career from the standpoint of faith, evangelism, but also the humanitarian side. As I had heard of our early people that have gone to that part of the world, to talk to those whom God has called. Myanmar is kind of out there in the jungle between India and Thailand, and it's been a country shrouded in mystery, which we'll be hearing about today. David, we're just so very glad to have you here. I'd like you first just to tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you, David? Well, <laughs> good question. <laughs> Who am I? Uh, I, I uh, went to Ambassador College years ago and went on to get a master's degree and uh, spent most of my career in executive benefits, consulting with uh, Fortune 500 and banks and things like that. While I was in college, I also went on our uh, church projects to Thailand, and I did that uh, about 87, 88, and then again, 89, 90. We uh, taught English at that time in uh, Chulalongkorn University, the demonstration school there, we taught, we had some students teaching at the Palace School, mm-hmm. and we had some uh, teaching at Watsaket, which was a, a well-known temple school where they bring in monks from all over the country to get a basic education. The second year I went back, I, I helped with the project and then also taught Her Majesty's personal bodyguards, which was quite an experience. Okay, what's the Her Majesty? Well, this is um, Queen Sirikit. His Majesty had bodyguard, a, a regiment of bodyguards, and they would clear areas when the royal family would move into an area. And Her Majesty had about five or six personal bodyguards that, that would follow the motorcade, come out, open the doors for the royal family, escort them wherever they were going. And so these were regular army guys, but would come and get special training. So they were, they were a lot of fun. Well, that's the one interesting thing about you, David, is that you've gone there, you have worked with people at all levels, from the people out in the bush, so to speak. I don't know if they call it the bush out there, but the people who are out in the rural areas, and you have also worked with people connected with the palace. Yes, that is correct. It's been uh, quite an honor and an experience, and sometimes just the right place at the right time, I suppose. David has come into my, my life from the standpoint of talking about Myanmar as uh, an area that has been serviced internationally, and an area which does have churches, has, has communities of people that are believers. And we, we talked about some of the needs over the last several years. And we have talked about travel, we've talked about visiting with these people. We'll be talking about some of the things that we have done. We've helped them with farming programs. We've helped them with the purchase of a tractor. We've helped them with with other things. They are very unassuming people. Some of the most humble people, they're never really asking for anything. You almost wish that they would ask. (laughs) It is a problem sometimes. You know know they need help, and, and so you have to convince them that they're not a burden. We're happy to help. 
I'm used to talking to some of their leaders, you know, where they, they talk around the point and talk around the point. Say, what the, are you talking about? <laughs> but anyway, that's the, that's the nature of these people. And I have really enjoyed, I've been very privileged, I haven't done it as much as I should, is to be able to conduct even a, a service or conduct a Bible study from the United States here to, to Burma. The people are in different areas with their smartphones, can you believe? And they're participating in that. I still listen in on some of them on, it's Friday afternoon here, mm -hmm. and, and it's a, a Saturday in Myanmar. But uh, David, so how did you get roped into, if I could put that term, <laughs> uh, maybe I should use a different uh, language, you know, to describe it. But I do know that all of a sudden you have taken an interest in Myanmar. How did you get involved? Well, I was uh, merrily on my way, taking care of life and family and all that. And uh, my father-in-law, uh, Earl Romer, he's has, um, has died uh, in, in the last two years. Uh, he was working with the Brethren in the Philippines and in Hong Kong, had been invited to meet with a gentleman named Leon Sexton. Leon had gone over to, uh, to Thailand, had started a school and brought in a lot of the Hill Tribe people from Myanmar and, and brought them to a school and started giving them English language lessons and teaching them mathematics and skills and, and also the Bible. And he's getting up in age and he was thinking about what's going to happen to his group. And so he invited Earl over and, and Earl called me up and said, you're coming with me. And I said, well, I'm not sure that I am. And he said, yes, you are. So I went with him the first time to kind of help him through Thailand. I knew the language there, and but knew nothing about Myanmar. So that was a new experience for me. But um, yeah, that's how I got roped in. But it seems like you really took to it. You just, uh, uh, w when you went there, you kind of fell in love with it, for a better choice of terms. Yeah, the people are wonderful. And, and honestly, that was part of the reason I resisted, because I knew I would really enjoy the people. And that would ensue that I would start getting involved. I've always loved Southeast Asia and the people there. They're very, they tend to be a, I don't want to say softer people, but um, what you don't say is sometimes more important than what is said. I kind of always kind of understood how that, that meant, and I could relate to that. Mm -hmm. And so when I met the brethren there, it was just, they're just warm people. They're fun-loving, fantastic to, to be around, very dedicated and, and very um, spiritually strong. And you mentioned Leon Sexton. This is the first that I had really heard that this is the way that you really first got connected because I admire him very much for what he's done. He sacrificed his life pretty much, he and his wife's life, for those people, set up the Legacy Institute. And we have helped young people go there for a year-long event, you know, to teach. And, and this has been part of LifeNet's projects, you know, for a while at their... Right at their Legacy Institute in Thailand. Right, that is correct. Yeah, Leon, I've known Leon uh, since 19, either the end of 87 or beginning of 88. And, you know, he he's a sight to see in Thailand because he's a fairly large man. He's getting older now, shrinking like all of us, I guess, but he's a fairly large man. The royal family, Her Majesty and His Majesty, took a liking to Leon. And so he just had this way with the Thai people that resonated with them and and it was just amazing what he could do and how much people really responded to him and so when they set up legacy it was just a wonderful thing i mean everybody in Chiang mai appreciated the work they're doing the royal family did and they were taking the burmese people who the Karin people who were tribes that were kind of booted out of 
or were in danger of being in Myanmar and would come across the border and live in camps and small villages on the Thai side. And so Leon would go down and get them and try to give them an education uh, because they really didn't have any resources. And so, yeah, they have just done an amazing work. I'm, I'm really in awe of the work that Leon and Gloria have done. The whole Myanmar experience is such an anomaly. You have such warm, kind, loving people, and they grow on you. And yet the history of that nation, even going back a couple hundred years, but even in modern times when, when they were part of the British Empire and became independent totally, I believe, in January of 1948. I believe in 1947 they, they were... The, the British uh, sort of released them, if you will, and, and said, you're your own thing. And then uh, they took a few months to form up their first government. And then a civil war ensued after that time that has continued on for nearly half a century. There was lots of fighting in those first few years. And, and what happened is that, uh, as I understand it in reading the history, is that the, the communist socialist parties began actually starting, started to get a foothold in a fairly large way. And so the military came in and stepped in and squashed that. They did not want communism, socialism. Well, then the military is in this position. They tried to, you know, over the years, attempted to give power to a democratically elected group, and occasionally that worked, but then they didn't like it, and so they took the power back. And about 12, 10, 12 years ago, they really started putting the country on a path of democracy, but, but still controlled by the military. There was a lot of openness happening, and, and your and my friend Aaron Dean was able to go over to visit with his wife Michelle, uh, the brethren that have been part of our church for 60 years now, and actually meet with them and spend time with them because nobody had been there for quite some time. Well, that freedom and openness, you could see it in the young people. By the time I showed up there three and a half years, four years ago, the young people were excited about opportunities that their parents had never had and even a couple generation had not had. Fortunately, in the most recent elections, which would have been in the fall of 2020, Aung San Suu Kyi mm. won by a landslide. Her party won by a landslide. And so on February 1st, 2021, they convened the new government and the military walked in and arrested them all. And the coup began on February 1st last year. And so uh, they were tried and trumped up charges and weird things. Mm-hmm. Um, I shouldn't say trumped up, but the, the charges were very... Like a kangaroo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I know that uh, we were so happy 2017 or so mm-hmm. when we had a Feast of Tabernacles in um, Myanmar that uh, Aaron Dean went over you know, at that yeah. time. Then a year later, the Jennings brothers, these two, yeah. two young men from Australia went over there, and they uh, actually made a very, very inspiring little video yeah. that I have on YouTube. But in fact, in the notes here with this podcast, I'll give you the URL for it on YouTube. But it shows them like in a free country. And then, you know, so much is shut down since the arrest of the lady prime minister. Yeah. You know, it's just been very, very sad because we thought we were really on a good path. And of course, that with COVID, you know, cutting down on travel has really hampered our efforts. Yeah, COVID started the process. We were planning a tr- uh, my fourth trip, uh, having uh, Davidson LeBay, who's in England, who is the oldest son of the man who kind of started the group in the 60 years mm-hmm. ago. We were planning to go back, but uh, COVID hit, and just the week before we planned to go, 
it just that stopped it and we haven't been back since since um yeah the COVID and then and then with this military coup it it has wreaked havoc on the economy of course and i'm kind of going on a tangent here but the inflation rates are are terrible the jot which is their currency when i first went there three four four years ago it was one u.s dollar was equal to about 1300 jot i know that sounds like a lot but you know how currencies work but it was pretty stable it was pretty much linked to the u.s dollar well today it's one u.s dollar to about 2400 2300 2400 jot but that's not the main inflation the main inflation is just supply demand cooking oil is hard to come by it's up 400 percent for cooking oil diesel fuel is up 800 percent if you can find it so it's the 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 supply of these things since uh, since the military has locked everything down nothing's coming in and if it does come in the military takes it and so it's been very hard on the people there very hard what do you when do you think you could go over there again <laughs> uh, we think about this all the time it, it's hard to really know what's happening on the ground but to, but but the military when they did the coup a new separate government was formed and a military to support that government. And the military is called the People's Defense Force or people PDF. There is some indication that the PDF is actually making headway and that the military government is seeing a lot of defections. Uh, one account as many as 10,000 defections from the military. And, and I understood the military to have maybe 140,000. Mm-hmm. So 10,000 is material. The people, the, even the Burmese that the military is made up of, they don't want to fight their own people. I mean, most of them really don't. So the People's Defense Force has made avenues for them and welcomed anybody who defects. They'll hide them, they'll get them out of the country, whatever they need to do. So there feels like there's some inroads happening that the military is, is contracting back into major cities like Yangon, uh, that the capital, the capital, uh, actually not the capital. There is a different capital, but the traditional capital, uh-huh. let's call it that, that there's some progress being made, but it's just going to be a long slog of a civil war, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I've had that not feeling, but I've actually worked with some of the refugees. That civil war that's been going on for half a century yeah. or more has caused refugees to stream across the border into Thailand. Thailand has been right. one of the greatest recipients of refugees, mostly Karen people that were fighting against the Burmese right. regulars. Sometimes it's hard to even figure out who's who. But some of the people that we had met were the children of some of the top commanders. Some of the people that I have met over the years have been refugees living in very unlikely places in the Western world, namely Finland. Of all places, there was a couple there that I I went up to uh, visit a number of times. One, they lived right there on the Arctic Circle, from the jungles. From the jungles, (laughs) yeah. The the equator (laughs) to the Arctic Circle. And I asked them, you know, what's what's the greatest problem here? Is it the weather? No, it's the language. (laughs) But there they are. They still live there today. They've been visited by us. You know, they are members of the United Church of God. And I just remember very, very nice times. I did a baptism there on June 21st, the longest day of the year. And it was almost too cold outside. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was just so, so wonderful to, to meet these people. And another couple, actually relatives of theirs, they had settled them in Norway. 
near a ski resort of all places, up there in, in the mountains. Uh, again, you know, just a highly un unlikely place. There's others too that I had gotten to know in Indiana, in North Carolina, and, and other places. But these people have been resettled. Some of the refugee camps in Thailand have had generations Mm -hmm. of people lived there. They had a whole society of people. That's correct. Yeah, they, they've uh, lived across that border for many, many decades. And you have to remember, though, too, that we have a border today, but that border didn't exist before. I mean, the, the people, the Tanggu dynasty, for example, it was massive in Southeast Asia. Now, what years was that? That's roughly in the 1500s to 1700s. Mm -hmm. uh, it got united. It encompassed parts of eastern India, Bangladesh, China. It brought in almost all of Laos, all of Thailand, and even going on over closer to Vietnam, today Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Massive, massive, really in Southeast Asia country or area. After a couple hundred years, of course, there's lots of different peoples in that area, and then they started separating out and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. But that eventually led to another ruler trying to, to bring it back together, taking some of India or attacking it that the British Empire had already claimed and, of course, brought the full force of the British Empire down on them, and all of a sudden now they were part of the British Empire. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, the, whole, the whole British Empire story is amazing. From India, from the Mizoram area, yeah. which borders... Burmese or the Myanmar Correct. area. Yeah. And actually, I've, I've not been in Myanmar, but I've seen both sides of the country from India in one instance and Thailand in, in the other. Yeah. But that area was ruled by the British, that the British had such inroads there and had brought order. They built railroads, they built all kinds yeah. of infrastructure in, in that country. I don't know if you've seen the book. Uh, we have a book that Bev and I listened to an audible called Elephant Company. It's hmm. a story about World War II and elephants in the logging, the teak, teakwood in yeah. industry. And it talks about how they helped with the war effort. You know, it's, it's an amazing book because it has so much history tied in mm -hmm. there. And Bev and I have learned so much. Anyway, I thought but, that throw that as a side. A, a fun fact, Tangu is a town that still exists. The ruler at the time, that was the capital of this entire Tangu dynasty. He built a, um, a summer palace, which is Chiang Mai. Oh. So the moat around Chiang Mai, I know you've been there. Yes. You've seen the walls. Mm -hmm. uh, Tanggu is, is set up very similarly, about the same size. So he had his summer path. So what I'm saying is that border is a border we have today mm -hmm. to the peoples who have been there for hundreds of years. Yeah, it's a border. And they live on both sides of it. Well, that's very interesting. You know, every time I talk to you on the phone or even here, <laughs> I learn so much about that area that I had not. No, just learned about your first trip. That was cozy Leon Sexton. Yeah, and I'll, I'll throw another one. You just mentioned World War II. So during World War II, 1940, the British came and made an airstrip north of the town of Tangu. And the first American volunteers came there, and we know them as the Flying Tigers. Mm -hmm. That was one of their bases, was just right outside the city of Tangu. And uh, also, I think one of the most famous movies of all time, yes, it, the, it's about the Burma Railway, yes. and it was the bridge on the River Kwai. <laughs> bridge over the River Kwai, yes. Yeah. And built it, destroyed it, built it, destroyed it. They just <laughs> didn't get very much progress done, amazingly. Even though that bridge was, tec was technically in, in Thailand, but it was about the river and about the yep. Burmese Railway. Coming across the railroad, yeah. yeah. So, Have uh, you been on that one? No, no, no. I, I, haven't, I haven't been there, but I, I know the movie very, very, very well. I think that all of us have... Have, have seen it. Yeah. Myanmar right now is even, 
it's a major country as far as the number of people. 57 million people yes. you know, live in that country. Uh, there's uh, the, the, the different groups of people. We might just cover this just a little bit because it explains some of the conflict. There's the Buddhists, which are the Burmese, the Buddhists. Then there's the Karen, yep. and there's some Muslims, right? That is, that is correct. Uh, there's about eight actual groupings of people in Myanmar. And in 48, and establishing the union, uh, unfortunately, the actual Burma, or Bur, uh, I can't think of the term they use, but the Burmese, effectively, was one of those. Uh, they tended to grab the power. Now, you have to remember, for hundreds of years, these tribes have been fighting each other. Mm-hmm. Again, our artificial border lines are not what they consider as a historical Mm-hmm. Uh, no, they follow them, of course, but they kind of did a power grab. And then you have the Karin, which is uh, probably the next largest population, uh, a softer people, if you will, like Thais. Then you have the Chin and the Kachin, Chin and Kachin, two different tribes, mm-hmm. Shan, um, and I'm not going to remember the other three or four. They are all various tribes. So in the current status, the current situation, the military is, has been out of the Burmese tribe, if you will. Their own Burmese people are not supporting it. The People's Defense Force is made up of a combination of the standing armies that all these other tribes have had. So they, it's unified all the other tribes to create a government and to create um, to create a uh, military to fight against it. Let's t- talk a little bit about the church which has been established there because that's kind of our inroad, that's, that's how we get into these places. Yeah. And then, of course, when you get into the kinds of economies that you get into in countries that are developing like that, you, you have to address economic issues and economic problems. Give us a little bit of an overview of kind of where the churches are, where they're, where, where they're located, and just a couple 101 facts. Okay. Uh, well, our group uh, that's been with us for 60 years, roughly, that is down in the the Delta area, we call it, which is south of uh, Yangon. Now, I want to back up. We all learned in school Burma and Rangoon. But once they had their independence, and I think they waited a while, they reverted back to their old names, which was Myanmar and Yangon. Mm-hmm. So Yangon is still the major city. It is no longer the capital city. The capital city actually moved... Well, that's a little bit of a separate story. Let's mm-hmm. let's let's. Uh, I'll come back to that. Our group is down in the Irrawaddy Delta region. Lots of rivers. It is the sort of the breadbasket. It grows all the rice down in that area, and it's just rice field after rice field. Lots of rivers. In our group, you actually have to go to the no- closest major town and then take a boat for about fifty minutes to down river to to get to their little village and then about a 10-minute walk. So we have about uh, 25 or 30 people there. And the, there are, I think everyone pretty much is related with the exception of a couple individuals. Now, some of their family are up in Yangon working. Some of the young people take contracts over in Malaysia and Singapore for a couple years. They can earn so much more money than they can uh, in, this is even before COVID and before the Civil War. Human capital is an export in Myanmar, just like it is in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. The Philippines, I think, a human capital is the number one export, I believe. Number one export. I believe half the nation's economy is yeah. from people working, people working outside. outside of it and bringing the money back. <laughs> yeah. So we have a, a wonderful little group there. They've been in the village um, for decades. Very nice. And then 
that's about four hours by bus south of, of Yangon. In Yangon, we have a deacon and his wife. And they're, um, I don't want to say aristocracy, but she came through from the Anglican Church from India, has a family member that's very high in the Anglican Church. And he came up through the Buddhist beliefs and has a brother very high in the Buddhist church, if you will, in Myanmar. So they are of a little wealthier status. They have helped us a great deal navigating things uh, because they have these connections. So that's been lovely. Then there's another group, Leon Sexton's group, which is about four hours north of Yangon, near the town of Tangu, this Mm -hmm. town we're talking about. That's a town that was the center of all that empire? Yes. Oh, okay. So they're outside of that about uh, 25 minutes by taxi, and then you walk a little bit into the countryside. They, uh, the young man there that's running that, he's just a real go-getter. He's, it's just fun to be around him because there is no stop. There's not even idle. There's not even slow. It's just all fast. There was a need. There was a, a gentleman there, older gentleman, and he passed away. So Leon had this current young man and his wife and first child in the school. It was very, he could recognize that, ordained him, and he went over, and the widow gave, the widow of the older elder gave a little piece of land to him. They moved in with a tent, and they talk about the water during rainy season going through the tent, snakes coming through, you know, and they got a little one. I mean, this is roughing it. And from there, he built the first little building. They got them inside and a small meeting hall. And then they met, uh, built another one, a little bit bigger, where they could have church services and also teach. And then they've built a house and where they house a lot of children that don't have enough to eat or their parents kind of abandoned them or just can't provide anything for them. They take them in. And now they're on their next building, which is a much bigger community hall. Uh, they've got the downstairs complete. It'll be two stories. And then COVID hit, of course, they haven't been able to finish. But just as really built a wonderful compound and serve everybody. There's lots of Baptists in the area. There's Seventh-day Adventists. There are Buddhists. There's Catholics. They talk to him a lot. They ask for help and services and for their people, and they supply whatever they can supply. And so it's just wonderful to see really Christ-like behavior in action Mm -hmm. in helping the community on a very tangible way. The downside for them right now is that they are near two of the largest military bases in the country right now. The Karin brethren, or the Karin, uh, I should say Karin peoples, are right there. And that's the biggest independent army along with a, f- a, f- a focus of the PDF. Mm-hmm. And so con- major conflict hasn't occurred. But it can. But it can, and they're right smack dab in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Literally right smack dab in the middle of it. They have soldiers uh, traveling up and down the road a mile away from their place. And so... Um, yeah, they're, they're dealing with that. Another potential conflict in this world that needs no more conflict. It needs no more conflict. Yeah. Well, I admire you, David, for being instrumental in not only working with the people in the north, you know, in that Tanakh area. And again, I did not know that it was the center of an empire at one time. I saw Tanakh. I thought, well, is this the town? That's their P.O. box. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But that, that's actually a major place. But also connecting the people in the south of the Sakanji area. Mm-hmm. And really, the, it's, it's hard to have them be like one church because right. of the distance. You know, they're two separate yeah. communities. But I admire you for giving them, I'm not sure, equal time, but equal respect. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, try, we try to. You know, yeah. it's harder now. Thank you. Thankfully, we have Zoom that we can mm-hmm. use quite well. But, but yeah, they, they, they are all people trying to do the right thing. Why mm-hmm. would we not help them? And, and to be honest with you, just like in the North and the South, our brethren there, we have actually, during COVID especially, and then again a little bit, we have actually sent extra to our brethren so that they can go help somebody in the community with the extra that they know is suffering. So that builds goodwill and not hatred to the fact that maybe they have cooking oil and they have some extra rice and stuff, and people see that and wonder what happened. It's like, we don't want to do that. We want to, we, want to, we want to build goodwill. That's terrific. That's one of the important things of learning about being helped is that you pass it on to somebody right. else. In our LifeNet's motto or our mission statement, you know, we supply people their needs and we hope that they could come to a point where they can pass on their needs to somebody else. That's part of, part of our mission. So anyway, I'm glad to see that that's being done. What are some of the biggest uh, challenges of the people you talked about, uh, the military? Maybe you could say something about that here? Sure. I think a, a big challenge that's just come to bear in the last month, really, the, largely in the South, because it's rice paddies and open, during this whole conflict, very little military and very little PDF forces have moved through that area because they can be seen. They, they can't hide under the cover of jungle or valleys and things like that. So it's largely been left alone, which is great. The PDF apparently has started to kind of go quietly to village to village to not conscript, but seek volunteers to join them. Well, the military, I believe, has, has picked up on this. Probably the reason why they called all the mayors in the region together about a month ago and brought them in and said that they are going to implement a program that they had some 20, 25 years ago that existed for quite a while, but then just was abandoned 20, 25 years ago. And that is, is under the mayor, effectively the mayor, they call it a different name, but under the mayor of each village, he's going to assign sort of a captain of 100, a person for every 100 households. Back in the day, that was to make sure laws were being implemented and people weren't doing bad things. And also to help, too, but it went away. Well, the feeling is is that their military are bringing that back so they know where these young men are. Mm-hmm. And they've started a militia. They call it a militia. Not It's separate from the military, but a militia in the local areas that they want to conscript these young men into. So that has created a little bit of an issue. So the mayors came back to our particular village and called all the men together and said, we need to re-implement this and we need the volunteers to be these captains of 100. Well, one of our members before he was called was this person. He's much older now, but everybody said he should do it. He said, well, I'm older. I can't see so well. I can't hear very well. I'm probably not the best. He's trying to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, it didn't. nobody responded to that, so our deacon actually got up and defended him for quite some time, and eventually the village acquiesced, and they nominated somebody else to do it. The important point is, is now our young men could be in a little bit more of a dire strait. In the past, if the military did come along, they would come at night, so the young men would go out and stay in the little huts in the rice paddy that were day huts. They would just go out at night and stay there, and so they weren't in the village. Now, with the captain of 100, the captain of 100 knows where they are, and so it may be a problem for our young people. One of the solutions we're trying to do is to help raise funds to 
pay the um, agencies that place our people, as I talked about earlier, in, in um, Malaysia, that place people in Malaysia and in Singapore in jobs, those are usually two-year contracts. So if we can pay those agencies on behalf of the young people, get them out of the country, that gives them a sense of protection for at least a couple years. So we're working on that. Well, that's a great way to work, you know, work, not try to do everything vertically yourself, but kind of find people who specialize in certain things and do it well, and you can co-op with them. Yes, that is exactly it. Mm -hmm. It It's all about the protection of the young people. What other needs do they have as far as food security? Yeah, you know, they're very proud and they don't like to ask for help. I've perceived in the last few weeks with the inflation rates and hearing some of the stories of them fishing for some food some evenings and not having cooking oil and things like that. We're at a point where we need to provide maybe some supplemental income for a period of time mm-hmm. and understand it's not a lot. It's it's a lot to them, but it's almost nothing to us, right? Mm-hmm. $100 can feed a family of four for a month. Ba- basics, mm-hmm. you know, it's not going to be extravagant or anything, but it, 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 basics, mm-hmm. rice and vegetables and meat uh, mm-hmm. periodically, things like that. So it's not very much money. So if we can supplement them maybe $50 a month per family, over eight, 10 families, mm-hmm. it's, you know, not much if we can help them out over the next six to eight, 12 months, and hopefully things change and get better. Mm-hmm. Um, that might, I think that's where we are at. And now it's about getting them to accept it low. Uh-huh. and how you present it so that it, it preserves their pride in, in that type of thing. Right. Well, I think we'll be talking about this more, David. You know, we've been talking about you know, acquiring land you know, for growing things yes. and, and uh, you know, providing that kind of base, uh, sometimes a little bit of equipment. But uh, this plan sounds very interesting. So perhaps with LifeNets and, and other organizations that we can find a way to do it in an organized way because you have probably the best overall view of this situation in Myanmar over anyone. I would like, before before we end, well, there are some people who are heroes to me. <laughs> yeah, careful now. Okay, it's not you. <laughs> Good, thank you. <laughs> well, you are, but I'm not going to be talking about you right now. <laughs> Never tell a humble man he's humble because it ruins it all. <laughs> but I would have to say that uh, I, I met Davidson Bay. Yes. I met him in 1993 at the Feast of Tabernacles in Mesat. And he was a refugee, and he was living in that community there, and I had the great privilege of baptizing him. Mm-hmm. Now he is one of the leaders, even though he does not live there, he lives in the United Kingdom uh, in the Sheffield area. But he is tireless as far as communicating with the people for conducting services. He came to one of our pastoral development program uh, sessions. This was in 2019. And he's, he's, been, he's been tireless. Uh, maybe a word about Davidson from you. Oh, he, he is amazing. We, I got to know Davidson through this process. I'd heard his name for years. But we, we communicate probably once a week, if not twice a week. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we have identified is, is that we are a little key de- person dependent on Davidson. So Davidson, yeah, he's a wonderful, wonderful man. Very dedicated, a wonderful heart. I got associated with Davidson on my first trip. He came from England, and he coordinated with me to go to this uh, the southern uh, group of people. Traveling to Myanmar is not easy. I mean, it's it's not an easy process. So he knew I had some experience 
um, in Asia and that type of thing. But he provided support for me at translators, made sure I always had a translator, that type of thing. Davidson's getting up there in age. He recognizes that. He's been the sole source of communicating from English into Korean or into Burmese. And so we really need to get some young people trained. We need to pray God provide somebody else. Davidson's doing okay, and hopefully he will do okay for 20 more years. Mm-hmm. But one of the big agenda items we have when, I'm going to say when, not if, when Myanmar opens up again, is we got to start training people, teaching them English, teaching young people other skills that they can support themselves with, mechanics and computers and things like that, which are proclivities that the, some of the individuals have. Davidson is just tireless. He conducts a service via Zoom every weekend from England. I join them maybe every six weeks and we'll do a sermon. So I'm in Boise, Idaho, speaking in English. Davidson is Sheffield in England, translating and people in Southeast Asia hear it. Isn't technology great? That's great. I've done it twice, I believe. Yes, and, that's right. But, but I've not done it for a while, and this kind of makes me want to do it again. <laughs> oh, they love it. They love it when you speak. Mm-hmm. They love it when they have anybody, uh-huh. you know, extra yeah. that, uh-huh. that can help and support. It's great. Well, I hope that we've been able to give you a little bit of an overview here of what's happening with the church, with with the nation of Myanmar, because, again, as I said, it's one of the most mysterious areas in the world. Maybe it's not the correct term, but it's kind of there, and it's not... Uh, uh, like India or Thailand, is is just it has its own special flavor, and it's been very very good to meet here with David Bensinger, who has really taken to that area and not just casually looked at it, but has really looked into what can we do, what can we do about acquiring property, what can we do about education, and as you heard him talking here about what can we do to develop the future, Myanmar opened up about 2016, 2017, was beginning to open up, maybe even before that. But then it shut down. And it was just like something that the devil didn't really want to have happen because we were really hopeful of going forward. But like you said, when this opens up again, we need to have a plan to develop people. Leon Sexton and others have, you know, d- have done their part. We are just very grateful for all these efforts that have been done to kind of move things forward. So anyway, thank you very much for talking to us today. Thank you. Thank you. It's been very enjoyable. So I want to thank our audience, our listeners, for joining us on The Cubic Report. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend about it. We can be found on a variety of platforms, including Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, an Audible, Pocketcaster, and other podcasting platform. On any browser address bar, just type in The Cubic Report and you'll find us, our yellow logo. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions about the, some of the things that, we're, that we talked about here today, please let us know. You can write to me at vcubic at gmail.com, v-k-u-b-i-k at gmail.com, and I'll have some comments in the notes connected with this podcast. So thank you for listening. Come back soon for more.